You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good morning, everybody. Um, we're going to start a series, a short five-week series on the book of Colossians this morning. Um, uh, and this morning, I think, uh, we'll go through, we'll kind of introduce a little bit of the book. Not a ton of that, but it's good to have some grounding in just kind of what's going on. Paul wrote it. Why did he write it? Where's Colossus? Not a whole lot of that, but some. Hey, for a um, And then we'll dive in. And then we're going to plant on verse 12, I think, uh, just to give you a teaser, which says, um, giving, or really 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And along the way, as we do that, we'll, um, we'll visit with a strong hat tip to David Gaston, a friend of mine who's now at Johns Hopkins, um, a fellow up there who's an active listener online and he listened to a class I did last week on baptism and reminded me of a didn't remind me I didn't know it existed of a vampire movie so we'll go lowbrow and then we'll go medium brow history uh, look at Thomas Bilney in Cambridge and then we'll look at a piece by Caravaggio so really just kind of chit-chatting here waiting for people to come in so I can go close the door and then we'll pray and get started okay. Um, why don't we pray? Lord, be with us now. Um, take this time, humbly offered. Um, make it yours. Be present, living, and active to us. And open your word and let it do its work on us um, in every way for, for your sake. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so it's a preface to the, uh, to the classes, one way, just kind of praying for a thread um, of what's going to tie these, these classes together. Uh, one um, couple of quotes from Luther I probably won't say that every week but I better say these each week um, uh, it's not just necessary that God speaks it's necessary that he speaks to you there's the real personal aspect of this it's necessary not just that the word of God is speaking or that the word is God speaking generally as if it's just kind of thrown out there it's necessary. That's an important word. It's necessary that he speaks to you. And so there's going to be a personal word here, I hope. I hope. I mean, that's, that's what my prayer is as I stand here as a conduit, that God is going to speak to you. Um, this word of God, living and active, that the Bible is alive. It has feet and it runs after me. It has hands and it grabs me. Um, it lays hold of me. And it takes me and does its will with me. Um, this idea as we sort of come into Colossians, this great um, short letter of Paul, four chapters long. Um, it's very small. Christ is enough um, because of all of Paul's letters. What did he write, 13 of them? Um, Colossians stands out in some ways because it wants to hit the nail over and over and over again that Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. This is the book. This is the letter of Paul which is going to soar at parts. Um, I'll say that about a lot of Paul's letters. Uh, but it'll soar in, in resounding Christ's supremacy over all things. We'll hear that phrase a lot, that he is preeminent and supreme over all things. And so what brings you here this morning? Um, where are you tired or bedraggled or needing to hear again? You know, just the fuel 
hour in, hour out, Sunday in, Sunday out, to come here and, and be told again that Christ is enough. And he's enough. He's enough for whatever it is uh, that as we look at ourselves um, in a mirror, we remember, ugh, in the image of God, he made us male and female. And I am his beloved son. I am his beloved daughter. Uh, he is well pleased with me. Unbelievable. With me. Wretched man that I am. And he still lifts me up. Puts my feet. He lifts me out of the miry clay. And he sets my feet upon a rock. And he sings to me. And he says, you are mine. And I delight in you. And then I forget that. When I walk away from the mirror. James is exactly right. Um, and we forget. And we go about our lives. And we get drug into the concerns, the cares and concerns of the world. And that's expected. There's no criticism here. And it's just we need to come back to the Word again and let it run after us and say, wait, you, you're mine. I wonder the Word grabs us and it turns us to Him. And it, uh, He looks in our face and He says, I am enough for you. Whatever it is. Death, Mark's Word, fatigue, um, COVID, family, history, future, the present, uh, concerns at work, concerns, you know, the sandwich between your children, your aging parents, what, whatever it is, Christ is enough. He's going to be the one answer for all the enemies that are arrayed against. This is all kind of off script. Um, uh, arrayed against us, the world, the flesh, the devil, um, sin, death, and even his accusation, his, his good, right, and holy law, which still comes at me and tells me that I'm not. And this gospel is going to say, but in me you are. And he's going to make something that didn't exist, his son and his daughter. So that's my hope, my humble hope, <laughs> these five weeks as we go into Col uh, Colossians, just to bring us back each week in different ways um, to the word that says Christ is enough. And it's a word that's necessary for you, not generally, but for you. Um, so that's, I'll hit pause. Any comments there, even as we kind of just climb into the, the class a little bit, kind of a five-minute intro? I like to leave pauses. Um, so... Uh, Rooted was here this weekend. Um, several of us were here. One of the speakers yesterday, Tish Warren, had a, a neat word. I kind of went thinking about it. Um, a good word, not a neat word. A very, very strong word. Uh, she said, we all believe in some form of the prosperity gospel. I think she's exactly right. What is the prosperity gospel? Um, some of us know a lot of it. Some of us don't. It's just the idea that, that, that the, the gospel says you will prosper in the way that we typically think of that. If you believe, then God will prosper you with something like, typically, how do we think? Health, wealth, security, friends, success, comfort, ease. Your life is going to be qualitatively better. Now, I want that for me. I want that for you. Don't get me wrong. That's not, that's not the promise. But we all think that, and that's part of the, the, the way this Christ is enough peace, I hope, begins to break through that. Because the promise is something different. Um, I think, we think, when I'm walking away from that, that mirror, let's call it James's mirror, and I forget who I am, and I forget what the gospel's promise is to me, um, I walk away and I want to turn it 
to something like a negotiation. Here's my personal Jesus, you know, a little bit of, who is that? Depeche, it's not Depeche Mode. Is that Depeche Mode? Um, uh, you know, my negotiation with my, 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 my quid pro quo, my contract, my covenant with my personal Jesus. You know, Jesus, you do this for me and I do this for you. And then it's going to be better. I'm not going to suffer as much. I know there'll be something and you'll be teaching me in that. But, but surely there must be something out there. There must be a study that says Christians do better than not Christians. Otherwise, why, why, why are we in this? And I hope we break into that, that good question, this sense that um, surely if I'm doing this, I'm going to get some benefit. And I want to say, well, let's, let's talk about that. I'm just going to sort of keep that in there and not keep Jesus at the, uh, the level of an accessory to make my life better. So Col- uh, Colossians, the book of Colossians, quickly, there was a heresy. We're not really sure what it was. Um, city of Colos, I had to look. Uh, it's in the middle of modern-day Turkey. It's not a seaport, which is a little bit unusual. I mean, it's, it's landlocked. It's right there in the middle of, uh, of, uh, of the country. Um, somehow, the word had gotten there, Epaphras. Um, we're going to hear about him a little bit. Seems to be the one who carried the message there. It wasn't a church that Paul started, but he wanted to write him because um, some heresy was coming. And Paul was in prison in Rome, probably one of his prison letters. Uh, and, uh, and Epaphras was probably somebody that Paul discipled. And, and so he sent Epaphras there and says, I've heard about you and I'm encouraged by your faith. Um, and then he wants to give him this word that Christ is enough. And so we read into that. And we ask, I wonder what this heresy was, this timeless, this time-bound, but maybe timeless heresy. We can think about the things that Paul stresses in this letter. Um, a few things that I wrote down just as I was going through the first couple of chapters. Christ is supreme. Christ is sufficient. Christ is preeminent is a word that comes out. Christ was present at creation, the firstborn of all creation, and simultaneously the firstborn of the dead. Um, so that's a word that gets used twice that we'll hear, um, this idea of firstbornness. Um, first in status, Christ is uncreated but begotten, so he wasn't firstborn in the sense that you and I were born. But before all things were, Christ was, um, in that sense of status and position, that Christ was at the beginning of all things in creation and was also at the beginning of all things in the recreation and the resurrection. Um, that Christ's humanity was also right alongside his divinity, fully God and fully man. We don't look to the stars or to the moons or to other things outside of Christ to bring order into our lives. A natural sense, you know, even we want to sort of do that on a starry night somewhere and we look up and we think, gosh, how small I am, and somehow it orders us. And Paul says, you know, there's a limit to that. Let's talk about that. Um, he goes through, and it's probably some form of Gnosticism. This is the boring part, but some of us are interested in this stuff. Um, the Gnostic heresy, um, unusual, it's one of the great ones that's around. It said that, that physical stuff is bad and spiritual stuff is good. And so material things like flesh and uh, money and uh, relationships and other things are bad. Are, are evil. It's a dualistic heresy that somehow uh, God didn't make all that. He just came in spirit, for God is spirit, um, and he came into that to fix it, to redeem it. 
And so flesh is bad, but spirit is good. And then the heresy went, interestingly, in two ways. Because if the flesh is bad, you can either try to starve it and beat it and, and tame it. And so you go into some sort of monk-like asceticism, right? You sort of go out into the, world, into the, uh, uh, into the wilderness, into the desert, um, like Flannery O'Connor's uh, character. And you tie barbed wire around your, your, uh, uh, your waist to punish the flesh because it keeps doing things or thinking things or, or leading you in ways that you shouldn't be do- going. And so flesh is bad, and so you need to, to, to beat it in submission. Or you can go the complete other way. It's like the flesh is bad. The flesh means nothing. So it doesn't really matter what you do with your body. Eat, drink, be merry um, uh, with whomever in whatever ways you want to because it's really inconsequential as long as as you are centered into the spiritual realm, uh, you're fine. And so that's going to be a thread you might hear a little bit in each one of Paul's, uh, as we go through Paul's letter, his refutation of both sides of Gnosticism, uh, that since flesh is bad, it doesn't matter. Um, And God's going to say, no, no, it matters very much. Christ was raised bodily because flesh matters so much, and is the firstborn amongst the dead, um, or that creation is bad, um, and we just need to beat it in submission. It's like, how can it be bad? He was the firstborn of overall creation. God looked at it and was delighted in it. It was evening and it was morning the first day, and it was good the second day, and it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, and then came Eve, and it was very good. We can't say it was bad. Um, and so Paul's going to write us again as we look into the mirror and remember things. So that's the intro to Colossians. Let's dive into the text and then get to uh, uh, a movie and then Caravaggio and some other things. Um, so let's read Colossians 1, 1 through 14. Um, I've got more than that on the paper, but we'll, uh, we'll see if we get there. We probably won't. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colos, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always, give, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So pause. Lots there. I'm not going to unpack all of it and go verse by verse. But a few things that I think, as I sit with it, as I have sat with it this week, um, some threads that I'm beginning to tie together. Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And this word stood out to me again, the will of God. Paul, an apostle, not because he earned it, not because he wanted it, not because he applied for it and, and he was the best resume or by some other happenstance. He was willed into it by God, this willingness of God. There's going to be a connection here to prayer, which he mentions twice, where what God wills happens. Again, the creative and recreative aspect of God, the firstborn over creation, the firstborn uh, from the dead, the willingness of God uh, to bring into things, bring things into being which once did not exist and now are things that are willed. Paul, a murderer and a blasphemer and, a, and, a, and one who sought out the, the Christians and now by the will of God, uh, the Apostle Paul, the one sent out, commissioned as the word of the gospel. To the saints and faithful, um, grace and peace to you. Grace, the active agent, peace, the experience of salvation. Uh, grace, the thing that who we who are once far off, it's going to be his theme next week, who have been brought near, and now peace. Peace with God. Um, not peace in terms of the absence of conflict, but peace in the shalom sense. Of, uh, of now the beginning of the ordering of all things as they ought to be. Um, we always thank God. Eucharisto is the word there. It's always kind of interesting. We just had communion, Eucharist, why it's called the great thanksgiving. We come in response to, to that which God has done for us in Eucharisto, in thanksgiving. And so we always give thanks and we come to the table to be fed by him. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith, faith, hope, and love, these three from 1 Corinthians 13, you're now here in Colossians 1, we heard of your faith, which is always productive. Um, the, gospel which produced, the gospel produces faith, and then faith accompanied by love and hope, um, these three. Heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Um, skipping down to this part of prayer. And so, from the day we heard, verse 9, we have not ceased to pray for you. Um, tying that to this will, um, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. Prayer, not so much, Lord, please, 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 let it happen. Let it be, Lord. And I've got several things, several people I'm praying for right now in some of this. Uh, it's not so much... Prayer is not so much a petition to overcome the obstacle which God is, but to, to lay hold of God's willingness, the central aspect of who God is, um, this thing, this work, this experience, this apprehension, this gospel, this saving work of God, willed into being. We have not ceased to pray that God's work would be done, not to overcome his reluctance, but to lay hold of his willingness. Somewhere around there, an unfinished work which has begun in me as we're starting this piece of Colossians. 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his what his will this thing being wrought in us um, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the lord fully pleasing bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of god being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might in constancy and long-suffering, endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks, Eucharisto, who has qualified you, just like he brought Paul into the qualification of apostle, qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. And then we're going to kind of plant here for the rest of the time. And he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This sense of being lifted and delivered, you know, Amazon. I can't help but hear the word now and think delivered, you know, an inert package which just shows up on our doorstep or sometimes our neighbor's doorstep, even though it's ours. Um, uh, uh, transferred, delivered, um, brought from point A to point B, from the kingdom, from the domain of darkness into the, uh, to the kingdom of his beloved son. Um, of course, one of the great themes around... Uh, that a lot of us are familiar with, um, and this isn't uniquely Christian, um, but being brought from dark to light, from weak to strong, from death to life, um, from impasse to possibility, or even more than that, from impasse to, to it is finished, it is done. Um, uh, several ways this is sometimes brought forth. One, Thomas Bilney, perhaps the first um, uh, convert to the new faith, in England, I'm not quite sure of that, um, but 1519 to kind of place that Luther's 95 theses in Germany were October 1517. This is early in 1519, and Thomas Bilney, little Bilney as he was called, he was martyred in 1531, burned as usual. Um, and this is, I think, I can't remember, I think I took this. This is punting, which is, you know, like a gondola in the river. Um, uh, in the in the Cam River, uh, and this is looking up, and somewhere they think even kind of right here, which would make sense. Little Billney back in 1519, reading for the first time uh, Erasmus's New Testament. Um, Erasmus of Rotterdam, one of the great scholars, and he took uh, 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 he had a new translation um, for the first time because it had been Latin. And remember the church had kind of put the, 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 the scriptures into the Vulgate, to the, to the vulgar language of Latin, to the common language. And they went back to the source, and he said, no, here's the Greek. This is where it started. And Bilney is reading it, and he's converted. Perhaps the first English-speaking convert um, in, uh, in the new religion of the Reformation, of the Reformed faith, the Protestant faith. And Bilney is a great example of what happens in the, the, the felt experience of being delivered and transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Because he had these words um, when he was describing it. A little fun fact, I think, this part. Some of us know another name, Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer, along with um, uh, uh, oh, Nicholas Ridley, um, were martyred a few months before Thomas Cramner in Oxford. Both of them, all three of them were bishops. Latimer before, um, all of them had to come through a conversion process. And Bilney, this is brilliant, but this is why he ended up dying. He, uh, he wanted Hugh Latimer to know the gospel, this new word 
which had apprehended him and Luther and Calvin and many others in, in Europe, and that was growing in, uh, in England. And so what did he do? Well, what's the way that you have to require an, a, a Roman Catholic priest to keep a promise, to not tell anybody? You go into confession. <laughs> and so he says, you know, Father Latimer, will you please hear my confession? He says, of course, Bilney, I'll do this. And he goes in there, and Bilney preaches to him but in the bands of confession, in the confessional booth, uh, so that he couldn't, as it were, uh, be punished for it. And Latimer was, was, was turned. He was converted by, by Bilney's uh, uh, confession to him of the evangelical gospel faith. Um, he tried that again on, I can't remember who, in 1529, and he, he broke his vow, and, and Bilney was thrown in prison and, and, and killed. Um, so anyway, this is Bilney's word uh, when he was recounting how he uh, had been turned by this new word, uh, by reading the scripture. It's, not ne- it's necessary not that God speaks, but he speaks to you. He speaks to you because Bilney heard it, this personal word right there beneath that tree. My soul was sick and I longed for peace, but nowhere could I find it. But at last I heard of Jesus. It was then, when the first New Testament was set forth by Erasmus, that the light came. I bought the book, (laughs) and on the first reading of it, as I well remember, I chanced upon these words. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, or worthy of all to be believed, um, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. And that one sentence through God's inward working did so lift up my poor bruised spirit that the very bones within me leaped for joy and gladness. And it was as if after a long dark night, day had suddenly broke. Um, One example, Um, a second one. Um, This is what David sent me. So last week I taught the newcomers class and Tom Petty's Video. This is the lowbrow part. Um, Last dance for Mary. Last dance with Mary Jane. Um, the video of it, which is really weird. He's a mortician, and a corpse comes in, and it's Kim Basinger. Of course, it's Kim Basinger. Uh, uh, and he steals her, takes her to his house. He dresses her as a bride, beautifully adorned for her husband. It's Revelation language. And he sets the table before her, uh, a meal of, of fine wine and choice food, Revelation language. Uh, and then they dance, they dance, they dance. It's weird. And then he takes her down to the water, and he lays her in the water. She is dead, dead as a door knocker, as Charles Dickens would say. And then as the last chords are going out, and she's underwater, then her eyes open, and her mouth parts baptism. We go under the water, dead. We come out of the water, alive. That's the paradox. Transferred from the domain of darkness, death, to the domain of, to the, to the kingdom of his beloved son. So I said all that, and David, who's great, hello David, um, uh, says, oh, you got to look at this movie, Daybreakers. Anybody seen Daybreakers? Ethan Hawke and William Defoe. Um, Evidently, it's uh, uh, a world that's now ruled by vampires. You'll see the vampires because they have the uh, 
the weird eyes. They're like yellow. You can tell they're not there. Vampires, I had to remind myself. All I know about vampires is from the Lost Boys when I was a kid watching that TV show. That was um, that movie. It was a good movie. Vampires are dead. They have no heartbeat. Um, uh, they don't have any blood. They have to drink it. Um, uh, they're dead. Baptism is we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we go under the water and we come out alive. There's this scene where the vampire, William Defoe, um, who's now alive, you can tell because of his eyes, um, they're trying to figure out how did you get life? How did you move from the domain of death and darkness to the domain of light? Um, and Ethan Hawke is a vampire who wants, I know it's weird, who wants to know how to do this. And William Defoe shows this, this uh, uh, instance where he was driving during the day. Remember, vampires, uh, sunlight puts, sets them on fire. Not a good thing. Um, and he has this car wreck. And he goes out, and he's exposed to the sun, and he dies, as it were. Remember, he's already dead. And then he goes underwater. Then he comes up, and watch what happens. And we'll watch this. It's only like a minute and a half. And then we'll go to uh, um, one other place. William Defoe, no longer a vampire. She's just a scientist, and that's Ethan Hawke, who is... Uh, trying to figure out how to live. This is his conversion story. He's driving during the day in a special car where he's driving by cameras. He hasn't had blood in a while, so he's not he's not well. He's about to have a wreck. Spoiler. Play on the word sun, S-U-N-S-O-N. comes out he should be on fire when he exposes himself to the light that line um, the sun you're human because of the sun obviously s-u-n play on words maybe I don't know you're human because of the sun because he well as it said uh, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins um, the sun 
who brought us from the domain of darkness and death, non-human, um, marred image, restoring us back to our humanity, to our life, and to our peace. Um, maybe we'll pause and look at this next week, but a teaser. Um, then I thought, actually, Caroline, after our conversation last night, looking for a thread, um, chiaroscuro, the Italian um, word which means light, dark, or... Uh, uh, obscured, uh, clear and obscured. Uh, Caravaggio um, is the, the artist that plays with shadows and light and dark more than any other. Yeah, we'll look at this next week. And so here, with all the darkness and the light and everything else, Christ calling Matthew, or is it him? That's part of the question. With all of the light, the weird light coming, with the play on the hands, uh, and this movement um, where Christ breaks in. It's necessary that not just that God speaks, that he speaks to you. And as, a, as, a, as the calling of Matthew goes, um, Christ came outside the booth and came up to the tax collector Levi. It's another one of the examples of Christ naming somebody. And he said, come, follow me. And Matthew gets up and he leaves his money. So here's his lucre, you know, his right hand. Uh, still holding the money, even as his left hand is pointing to himself or to the other, incredulously, me? 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 So we'll look at that. There's lots to kind of play with this in some other ways, but this movement from darkness to life, um, that the Word of God, it seeks you and it finds you, not so much as we approach it to say, how can I overcome God's reluctance for me, but to lay hold of his willingness, his complete willingness to, uh, to make sure that whatever happens, you are not without him for eternity. And that's what Paul wants to say. And so let me pray. Lord, take these words humbly offered and, uh, and use them as you would. Um, speak to us in a personal and real way um, and, uh, and tell us who we are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.